Welcome to the Collective West podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to supporting young people in Melbourne's West. My name is Julia. And I'm Michael. In this podcast, Julia and I talk about the age-old debate about following your passion as a career path. We explore how we've been able to find our own passion, what we think passion is, and how you can find yours. So when it comes to passion, I 100% agree that people should follow their passion as much as possible within reason, obviously. But I also acknowledge that there's a lot of boundaries and challenges and stereotypes and things like that that gets thrown at you from a young person's perspective going through high school and then into university as to what you should be studying, what you should become, may or may not steer you towards your passion or away from your passion. But I think for me, my particular journey, I've been able to kind of stick with what I really love doing and I've been able to ensure that I do wake up every morning, whether it was going to uni or to my job now, really enjoying it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the passion that you have, do you want to go a bit more into what it is? Yeah. Passion that I have, I discovered when I was in my teens or I think it was 14, 15, and that is to create live experiences for people to come along and enjoy. In other words, you know, producing events. I realized that I just love the detail that's involved in planning something and then seeing people come together and being at the event and just soaking up that experience and that moment. Um, you know, when I was really young, I, I worked, I volunteered a lot for the local councils and different organizations, putting on events or music events for the community. And that was where I discovered my passion. And it was it was that that's kind of, you know, through a bunch of other things, um, took me through to uni, studied production, so stage and production management for theatre and live shows, to now, you know, obviously owning my own events company seven years on. So in general, that's my passion, like that feeling of getting the buzz that you get when everyone's there at your event. Uh-huh. That's been driving me to kind of pursue events and production management as a career now. That's awesome. I would take the other side of the coin, even just hearing from your story, Mm. I would almost say that you demonstrated early competency and skill in what you were doing. And then you, you pursued that, which then became a deeper passion. My argument here is, is that I think following your passion is really common advice for a lot of people who are successful like yourself and even like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs always say, follow the passion, the thing that sort of ignites that spark in you. But I think there's, there's a few things that could be sort of taken to the extreme with following your passion that can be not, not dangerous, but a bit problematic, especially for like a young person. Look, I'm really passionate about soccer or about sport, but I have no skill and no competency in it whatsoever. Me me to follow that passion of just say becoming a soccer player, I could do it and it would ignite that spark, but I would not get very far in doing it. The advice that I've been guilty of giving, you know, follow your passion advice to young people. And it's something I even told myself and I would still consider myself a passionate person, but I would, Mm -hmm. I would say that it didn't start with passion. It started off, as I mentioned before, with getting early competency and interest in it, putting time and effort to developing those skills. And then Mm -hmm. I realized also that I really love doing this because it provided, yeah. I had enough capital within sort of this field that I wanted to pursue that I could follow it really well. So it mm-hmm. was early competency followed by skill and then the passion followed afterward. Mm-hmm. And it's, when you're telling me your story, that's almost exactly the same sequence of events that you went through, that you mm-hmm. started volunteering your time first. So you didn't start passionate and wanting to make money out of it. You just followed what 
you're curious about, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the thing about passion is really, like you said, it stems from curiosity. You have to be curious about something. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean have to only be applied to career. It could be side hustle your hobbies like what we were talking about last week it definitely starts from curiosity and I think the way you've kind of analyzed it definitely makes sense but I think where I sort of go you should follow your or attempt to follow your passion is you should be able to be in a position or hopefully be in a position where you want to wake up feeling like you love what you do Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of where I'm going with that And you might not do it right now and you might be working at McDonald's and trying to make ends meet and that's fair enough. But hopefully there is a goal somewhere from now until, you know, X where you are working towards being able to wake up and being like, yes, I really love what I do. Um, And I guess that's what my discovery has been over the years. I think I would be very, very much in the same boat as you. But I honestly love my job and Mm. how I know I love it is that I would I hope my boss is not listening to this, but I would do it for free. So I, I would do the work that I'm getting paid to do now for free. Um, and, it, and I was doing it for free. Hi, for- Michael up. <laughs> not, yeah. not to say that I don't love getting paid for it now and, and making a living from it. But yeah, I would definitely agree that waking up with that, that sense of meaningfulness and purpose yeah. that you do and it's sort of that yeah. alignment with your values, yeah. I think is really, really important. Where I find it difficult to say to a to say another young person to follow your passion is it can put a lot of pressure on them. I think you are a very rare breed of of person who <laughs> could find passions very early and then actually had the skill and the competency to do it mm. and execute on it. Well, I mm-hmm. think a lot of people don't start with that to begin with. Instead of telling them to follow your passion, I would always tell people to follow their curiosity first because that's mm. far more accessible yeah, than following yeah. your passion. I think we both mentioned volunteering, which I think we should definitely touch on as a, a mean to discovering your passion or discovering your curiosity or, you know, figuring it out. But I agree. I think it, it's also, you know, in many ways, I guess where I'm coming from about the whole passion thing is not to let other people steer you away from what you're interested in. You know, yeah. we take the word passion away, you know, um, and we, we substitute it with curiosity. I feel like sometimes depending on your culture, your upbringing, your parents' journey, whether you do live in the West or the East or all around the world, you know, we all have certain pressure and expectations and sometimes um, that can really drive you one way or another. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be driving you towards your passion or what you're curious about, it will be driving you the opposite direction because you think it's the right way to go. Where I would say to young people is the only way you can figure out if that's the right way to go and that's something that you should be doing as a career or or whatever is if you actually try it and you discover that you like it. Like you have to like something. Like I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. There's no way. And I have seen it, you know, like literally... I can use first-hand example like my husband who's been very, very successful in banking, earning a lot more than what he's earning now (laughs) working with me. You know, he was doing that for a long time and because we do have a bit of an age bracket, like gap, we, we talk about this all the time. Like, why did you choose to go down this financial banking pathway? He, he saw me kind of go through uni and following my interest and passion versus what he's had to do because he thought that was the right way of doing it. And it's led us to obviously two very different journeys, but it's also led him to make a decision 11, 12 years on in a very stable 
good corporate job to say, I'm going to leave it to just try something completely new. I think there's there's a lot of around us, we're always constantly faced by a lot of stereotypes and different rules and things like that and, and things that gets into our head to say you should go a certain way. But I guess it's more like follow your interests, your passion, your curiosity. It's definitely something that we, like I would want to push young people to think about. There's sort of two things that I wanted to pick up on what you said. One was power of expectations and how much that could influence sort of any career decision that you have. I think I was really fortunate enough that I didn't have too many external expectations coming from, or well, mainly my parents or teachers, and yeah. that I was actually able to forge my own path according to my own values and my own expectations. Granted, it did take a little bit longer. And there are mm-hmm. many times where I felt lost and thinking, mm-hmm. am I actually doing this right thing? Because I'm, I was trotting down a path that has sort of never been trod down before, either by anyone around me, my brothers or my cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a path that I didn't know where I was, I was going. And what I really reflect on as something that has been really important for me was having that creative license and almost that freedom to explore what things and what curiosities that I have that I wanted to go deeper on. Yeah. And for me, going on to your next point about exploring volunteering, for instance, volunteering, and I think it's for you as well, played a really instrumental part in the career that I have now. I think Mm. volunteering gave me a really, well, it it did a few things, but the first thing it gave me, especially being, you know, late teens, early 20s, it gave me a really early taste of the potential career path I could have in any one domain or industry. I started volunteering from a sort of a very young age, especially in university. I think a lot of universities offer many, many volunteering opportunities. I almost look back on my university degree and I can only really remember the volunteering that I did with different, you know, student associations or charities that were in the university. I don't actually remember many of the classes that I took. Going into my own story, I started volunteering for a not-for-profit in 2015. So when I was in my second year of uni, I started to really realize that I really enjoyed the values-driven, purpose-driven work that this charity work gave me or this not-for-profit work gave me. If I did not have that experience as a volunteering, I would not be in this position where I am today. And it's been really instrumental in providing that insight or that gateway into different pathways really early and getting able to taste different things and try different things and sample different things and say, that's actually not for me. I don't want to do that anymore. That's not for yeah. me. I don't want to do that anymore. And then I finally found one where what I got was, are you familiar with sort of that Ikigai framework? No. It's, like, this, it's like in, in Japan, they've got this word called Ikigai, which is like a series of four circles and mm. they overlap each other. And one circle is like that which you are competent in. Mm. That's one circle. And another circle is that which you will be paid for. Mm -hmm. And then another one is that which society values. And I'm forgetting what the last one, I think it's maybe that which you are passionate about. What I found was that through different volunteering opportunities, I could systematically eliminate stuff that sort of didn't fit in with those circles. So there Mm -hmm. was things that I could get paid for and society values, but I don't like it. And it doesn't align with my values. Yeah. Using that framework, I was actually able to almost appraise different experiences I had through volunteering and say, that doesn't really fit in with what I want to do. Yes, I might get paid for it, but I don't want to do that. It finally got to a point where I started to narrow down on things that had to do with working with people, having an impact on the community and sharing in meaningful work where I felt these four areas sort of converge and overlap with each other. So I'm confident in it, I'm passionate about it. I can get paid for it and society values it or society mm. needs it. And that's where I went after 2015 was like, I know what type of work and sort of what 
criteria I need to be able to go into any sort of career. I, I can honestly say I didn't start off passionate. I started off curious, then skills, and then I think I became really passionate about a specific area. Mm, Curiosity is yeah. such a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. That makes sense. I love how systematic you are <laughs> with that approach because I'm like, I'm so much more random and a bit free spirit. I was like, oh yeah, I like I like doing this and I'm, I'm just going to go pursue it. And I didn't think too much about it in a way. Yeah, I didn't even think about it. Like, I, I really like that. What do you call it? What is that diagram again? The icky guy. Icky guy, yeah. They should give that out in school. <laughs> <laughs> they really should. Yeah. It's such a powerful but- framework. Yeah. And, you know, like when I went to school, it was, you know, so limited resources and what teachers could provide guidance on around career pathway and following what you want to do and all of that kind of stuff. So I really like how you've kind of like laid it out in a very systematic format of what the approach should be. But I completely agree. You know, I think that in many ways, step one for discovering your passion and your curiosity is to volunteer. Like I say that to so many people who've come up to me and said, I really love events, blah, blah, blah. I want to start a career in events. I want to go study events or I am studying events and I, I want to do this and this and I want to start a business and stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. Jump on board. Like come and volunteer for us for a couple of days and see what it's like. And it's really interesting because over the years, I have had people who've volunteered um, or have taken my advice to either with us or with, you know, other festivals and things like that. And then I have come back and said, no, it's not for me. You know, I'm, I'm going to go and do something else now. Or yes, it's definitely for me, but I'm really interested in one particular area than the other. And, you know, there's a lot of truth to giving your time to discovering what you really, really like and what you what you don't like. You know, I really like that you didn't felt like you have any kind of pressure to go a certain pathway, which is really interesting. I, I would have assumed that maybe your parents would have been like, Michael, I want to see you as a doctor. <laughs> now that I think back a to lawyer. The, it was actually a lawyer. Uh, yeah, first. <laughs> but after I think I, what really changed it for me personally was doing, um, so I started volunteering in 2015, but then I also did a subject in university mm. called public policy making. Yeah. And it was one of the subjects where you sort of interrogate a policy retrospectively. So I looked at the HEC system, so the higher education contribution system, which everyone who's gone to university has had contact with. Now it's like HEC's help or help fee, whatever it's iteration. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. <laughs> so it's looking back at that, at that policy and understanding, you know, was it actually a good policy with the knowledge that we have now after sort yeah. of 30 years of its implementation? Yeah. And that's where I hit what, you know, I think I hit a state of flow in that mm. sort of subject. It's where I saw a combination of my curiosity peaked, my ability to write and analyze coming together and sort of my interests all coming together. And mm-hmm. I, I did one, I did the subject and the first assessment I had was looking at, at a, a piece of policy and I thought, I, I finished it and I thought, this seems a bit too easy. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I think I'm missing something here. So I, I yeah. thought I did something wrong. Uh, I didn't have enough time to go back and redo it. I submitted it and I ended up getting an email from my tutor at the time saying how impressed she was with the work that I did and recommending that I do my honors and masters in policy making and mm. that she was going to use my work as an example for other students. And that's when I, I think that's when it really hit me. I, I said, oh my God, I, I, I've actually got some sort of skill here and I actually really mm. enjoyed doing this. The work didn't feel like work. You know, I, I'd, 
I'd do this assessment, but it felt like a couple of minutes and it's actually like a couple of hours have passed while writing this. That is where I started to see myself at a critical juncture where it's like I had these expectations to do law. And that's exactly why I went to Melbourne Uni to do arts with the pathway to go into the Juris Doctor program, which which is a master's program. You have to do an undergrad first. But I think having those three years and having, like you said, that wide variety of different subjects where I could taste and sample different things really Mm. gave me insights into different domains. And now I find Mm. myself ironically enough, working as a social policy consultant. So that's combining Mm -hmm. the volunteering that I did (laughs) with that subject. And that's what I do for a full-time job to look at existing or look at creating new policies that solve some complex social challenges. So in some ways it combines the best of both worlds together, which sort of didn't exist. I would say even, I don't know, or maybe it did exist, but it didn't have the market or the prominence that it has now that Mm -hmm. social policy has now, especially in a time with COVID at the moment. Like, yes, we have public health policy, but almost every public health policy now has a social element to it. Even Mm -hmm. our economic policy Mm -hmm. and our recovery from COVID has to have a social or a well-being lens to it. So I think just going off a bit of a tangent here, but I think policy used to be done in isolation. So economic policy only focused on economics and public health policy only focused on public health. And sort of the bigger questions of how this will affect society and what it will do for the future young people, I think, was ignored. And what we're seeing now is that those difficult philosophical questions are now becoming more and more, more the domain of economic policy or mm. engineering policy, which I find fascinating. It's like this convergence mm. of all these policies into one. So obviously we've, we've kind of defined what passion is and what it means to both of us. What do you think about people in many ways, recommending what a young person should be doing. (laughs) You know, I have such mixed feelings and I've had so many different kind of personal stories as well. Like I, you know, I feel like it's sometimes can be so overwhelming if you're kind of trying to navigate a certain way and you've got people who are very experienced, uh, you know, obviously care for you, hence why Mm -hmm. they're providing that piece of recommendation anyway. But I think it's a real thing for young people or people who are trying to discover their passion or navigate through their passion or interests or curiosity to actually be able to stand there and, and choose whether they want to take on that recommendation or not. And it's okay to not listen to people all the time. I agree with <laughs> Have every- you had those kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said. I think I would hold, you know, what should I do with my life in the same vein of what's the meaning of life? It's a mm. question that you can only really answer for yourself. And yes, mm-hmm. people and philosophers have tried to answer that question for since the beginning of, you know, consciousness, I would say, you know, why are we put on this earth? Um, but I would say for any person, young or old, what you should be doing with your life is really a question you need to answer yourself. Mm-hmm. And in that process, it's a very messy, it's very unsexy, it's very uncomfortable to ask yourself those questions. Mm-hmm. And I would say I went through a period of my life after sort of 2015, where I was still still very much on that law career path and then but then I had these experiences with volunteering and this subject and I was in this state of like I don't know what to do here Mm -hmm. I was so conflicted about well I've invested so much time into climbing this mountain of going into law school Mm -hmm. the question I asked myself was was I willing to go down this mountain again and go up a new one Mm. that's the best way I could describe it and you know it's it's for me it sat with me for a very long time it it was difficult to answer it wasn't an easy question I just had to sit with that question for a long time am I willing to start again 
And I yeah. think that's what makes creative people so fascinating when you study them is that they have this ability to climb up one mountain, go to the top, climb back down and climb up a new one. Like how many mm-hmm. times have you seen different artists reinvent themselves? And I think that's, that's fascinating. It's, I think we should take a similar model of how artists and even actors go from different domains and try new things mm. to what we do in our careers. I think people are scared of sucking at something fundamentally. Mm. And um, I, thankfully, I am not afraid of doing that. Like, look at this podcasting thing. The first four yeah. episodes that we did, it bloody sucked. <laughs> but <laughs> but now, we're get, now we're getting better at it. And well, I, think, I thought they were great. <laughs> oh, you know, the, we have our differing opinions. But I think it's just in order to find what you really like, you, you, you have to go through that feeling of sucking at something really badly and slowly getting better. And then yeah. really asking yourself, are you willing to do it? Fundamentally, and the short answer is, it's a question that you have to answer for yourself because yeah. any answer that someone gives you is, is going to feel foreign. But I guess that's where I, I think it's, it could be quite challenging for people. And I don't know if you have a particular, you know, experience. I remember I certainly have where people genuinely were making suggestions of how I should navigate my business and how I should navigate what I'm going to do for the next 10 years. It can really throw you. It really can. Because, you know, I recall, uh, I think I have shared with you this story in the past where I think it was my first, probably my first 12 months out of uni. And I obviously started JT PM and and was on the way of kind of growing it. I had a free, I was a freelancer and I had quite a few gigs (laughs) at hand, but you know, like still kind of figuring out how to build that portfolio and things like that. And I went with my mentor to meet another successful mentor. I was so excited. And this person basically like ripped my dreams to pieces in this lunch that we had pretty much just said, you shouldn't be following your passion in doing business in events. Like you're way over your head in what you're trying to achieve and you should go and get a full-time job, then go and work out what you want to do then. And, you know, it's going to take you 10 years to figure out whether or not this is the right pathway. And I was really disappointed. I remember coming out of that, that lunch so conflicted with myself and so confused. And I remember ringing my mum to begin with, because I was telling her about the fact that I'm going to meet this amazing woman. And literally, you know, I was translating the whole conversation in Vietnamese to my mum and just going, oh my God, you know, she just said, I I mean, I shouldn't be following what I'm doing now. And, you know, I'm doing it wrong. And I I should be going to work for a corporation instead. And, and, you know, this and that. And then I rang Victor and, you know, at the time he was still working for his (laughs) banking job. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, you know, (laughs) this and that. And really really disappointed literally at Flinders Street Station just crying (laughs) uh, to her because I was really looking forward to meeting this person and expecting that they'd be really super supportive and proud of where I am and will give me some amazing tips and tricks on how to move forward and this kind of thing and it just turned out the complete opposite and her recommendation was something that I was not expecting and I, I spoke to Victor and I was still crying and everything. And I, I came home and it took me a long time to kind of just be like looking at her comments again and just thinking why she said it and whether I want to take it on board or not. 
end result was I think I took parts of it and I chose to to go get a little part-time job at a organization which definitely did help my career but um I definitely obviously didn't stop pursuing my business which I'm very glad that I didn't take her part of the advice on because wouldn't be where I am today those situations especially from a young person's perspective there's always so many people around you if you ask people will give them give you their opinion and their recommendations based on their life journey and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not what you expected and you know sometimes you kind of just have to really analyze those recommendations and pick and choose what you want to take on board and you bring up two interesting points of risk and for me now in my mid-20s sort of two things that i would recommend for a young person if they ever came to me saying what what should they do in their 20s one piece of advice with risk would be take as many as you can Mm. in your 20s you will recover from it yes you might lose a couple thousand dollars you might lose you know six months of your life but just imagine all the learnings you'll get so i would say go to the most high risk activity job that you can do that will one teach you a lot about yourself provide really clear feedback on what you are not and what you are good at and also what will just provide insight into what career you want to go into so i would say go as high risk as possible i'm not saying you know go skydiving or anything dangerous that's not what i'm saying it's take what's the highest risk thing that you can do that will teach you If if that's traveling if that's starting your own business Yes, you might lose a bit of money. Yes, you might lose a bit of time compared to your peers, but you will get a level of learning and understanding and insight about yourself that you just won't get anywhere else or through any other way. Because I think through your 20s, you're afforded this really unique period of time where you don't really have any many responsibilities, especially if you're a university. That's probably your top priority. You're most likely for the majority of 20 people in the 20s not supporting a dependent so that could be a child or, or a parent usually and you just get you've just got more time to recover mm-hmm. which is the most valuable thing that you have in your 20s over any other age group Very true. Yeah. so that's one thing of risk that i would say and i think that's what you did as well which is fantastic the second one would be i would also look for risks that have limited downside but unbounded upside and what i mean by that is your loss is heavily controlled but if you succeed you succeed big mm. And I think we're seeing really innovative business models through the internet that allow that to happen. One being this podcast, for instance. Mm. We have limited downside. We've both invested money into this and a bit of time, but that's all we're losing. We can't lose more than that. But just say this podcast goes viral and it gets gets listened to by a million, 10 million people. That doesn't affect us at all. Mm. And since our risk is still the same, whether a thousand people listen to this or a million people listen to this, our risk is still the same. And I think with new models like that, that the internet is facilitating, I always tell people, look at the risk. Brick and mortar retail has so much, it's almost unlimited downside. Like having a retail store in this day and age, there's so much risk involved in it. There's yeah. supply chain, there's rent, there's inventory and stuff like that you have to take care of. Where nowadays you can exchange ideas and information and knowledge through the internet mm-hmm. and people will pay for it. Mm. Like YouTube, medium, podcasting, any skill you have, you can market it in a way that has limited risk and unbounded upside. And I think that's such a great thing. And I think most young people don't see or approach risk that way. For me, what risk looks like is having one source of income from one job that you've spent four years going to university for and 10 years building a skill set. I think like be multifaceted, do a lot of different things. With the internet now, you can do that. And that's, yeah, that's my little rant over. (laughs) 
But that's, you know, that's... Did you do that to convince me to start this podcast? I did use that. I did use that. And it worked. (laughs) worked. Here we are. Um, (laughs) That's it. That's it. But another Uh, thing, sorry to to interrupt you. Another thing to talk about is like, how do you filter out people who are going to give you advice? So what filters do you use? And I was in the same position where I had a lot of people just giving me lots of different advice. And what I learned to do was segment the population that was giving me advice into different buckets. There are people who I highly value their opinion. And there might be like two or three people in that bucket. Mm. There are like, then there are another five or 10 where it's like, I'll take their, their advice under consideration if they make a good enough point. And then there's another bucket where you can tell me whatever you want. I'm not listening to you because your, your opinion means very little. Because like you said, everyone's going to have a, an opinion on what you should do, but not everyone's opinion is created equally. Mm. Yeah. So you need to apply some filters and some weightings to how you interpret and take on that advice. Mm. Otherwise, if you just take everyone's advice as equal weighting, you'll forever be just conflicted with different advice because you're going yeah. to get conflicting advice. So I've always made sure that I've got like three to five people that I really admire, really like their thinking and who will challenge me, but ultimately support my decision and who understand my circumstances. And I take their advice really highly and I would always consult them. It's a bit of a network and it sort of happened organically. I wasn't very systematic about it. It just like, I just had these people who were like, oh yeah, you you really did support me. You challenged, challenged me on that, but you did it for my own you like you always had the best interest at heart, yeah. my own best interest. And I've been really fortunate to have people like that in my life. I really like that. The way that you've explained it, being able to put people, group people into certain buckets really help you kind of navigate and see more clearly what those opinions are and that kind of, yeah, like that weighting system really makes sense. Uh, because I think the other thing about once you do take on someone's recommendation and you go forth with it in whatever it may be, and if it like fucks up <laughs> at least then you feel like you've owned it and you you you've made the right decision in taking that recommendation uh it's it's the worst thing is if you've taken a recommendation that you're kind of a bit uncertain about but because you think it's the right thing to do and then you go ahead and it doesn't work out then you're in suddenly this kind of world of guilt and you know conflict within yourself and you never want to be in that position so i think in every kind of even um you know business wise for any every kind of risk-taking decisions that I or we um, have made, it's always been kind of weighing out that recommendation line and making sure that we're really clear and that once we do take on board that particular recommendation, we will commit to it and then it becomes our decision. It's no longer, you know, John Smith recommended this and therefore I'm going along with it, but it's like I've taken on board that recommendation, I've thought about it, I'm committing to it 110% now and I'm going forth with it. And if it fails, it fails, you know. And I've always been quite methodical when it comes to those kind of risk-taking decisions and things like that, especially, yeah, especially around the business. And I've always found that when I do commit with it, then it really gives me that satisfaction and gives me that peace of mind as well. Um, And sometimes those decisions have never, haven't always been the best ones, you know. I've made some shit decisions (laughs) in the past. Um, But at least then I've kind of always felt like, okay, you know, that was not the right one, learn from it and move on rather than going, oh, you know, should have gone with, you know, someone else's opinion or should have done it differently because I was influenced by, you know, whoever. So I really want us to kind of round up the conversation with when our, our thinking when we are in 
our passion, right? So we're obviously, we've spoken, spoken about, you know, what it is, how we come about it. And let's talk more about the fact that we are in our passion now on a day-to-day basis. Do you ever feel like sometimes waking up and just being like, man, I hate my job. <laughs> or like, man, I'm so tired. I want to change gear. I want to change directions. And, and how do you, I guess, navigate that? And how do you kind of come, go back to bed feeling like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the right job? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, part of those feelings is just the natural cycle of being human. So everyone is going to doubt themselves. Everyone's going to experience burnout. Everyone's going to feel like they hate elements of their job. And there are definitely times where I felt that. I mean, I think early last year, I think you saw it as well. I went through a really tough time at work where I experienced a a big round of burnout, really. I just felt like I lost all motivation for working. My enjoyment of it sort of, my enjoyment diminished. The satisfaction that I felt wasn't sort of the same. So I had to take a bit of time to just really recalibrate myself and think, okay, going back and reconnecting with my why and not getting too caught up with the day-to-day and looking at the long-term again and thinking, why did I get into this career path to begin with? And can I still answer that why? Is that why still relevant to me? And if I can answer, yes, that why is still relevant to me, well, it's like, okay, then this is only a short-term thing that will pass. It's, I think, again, that process of segmenting, is this experience something that temporary and it will pass? And it's sort of a natural cycle of going through your career anyway. There will be times when you you don't like it and there'll be times when you love it. But can you answer that 80% of the time you do love it and 20% of the time you're going to hate it? I will accept that level of tolerance. Yeah. Um, if 80% of the time I can say I bloody love my job and then 20% of the time I say I don't like this element or this project I didn't like doing but I still learn a lot out of it I will take that and I think that's just look I don't want to paint a rosy picture of being passionate because it's not all roses and flowers and it's like every day I'm at a 10 and you know when I get to work I go I got to a 12 that just it doesn't exist um, that's just not reality it's like yeah. yes you're passionate but like you if you do anything for long enough there are going to be periods where you don't like it and it's all about just finding that balance and being able to really recalibrate yourself with finding your why. Yeah. And once you find your why, you can really just withstand any how or what. I think that's the same with any domain of life. Even sport, people who play sport, you know, there are periods where they go through really great form mm-hmm. and they're scoring a lot of goals, but there are periods where they go through a goal, goal drought and a lot of critics are on their back and they, they just sort of have to get through that. And that test, I think, just sharpens whether you want to be in this career or not. And it filters out people who can't. Yeah. Yeah, I really love that. I think going back to your why is so true. And I think that's what I found myself doing often. Why the hell am I in business? <laughs> why do I want to deal with all of this kind of administrating, kind of, you know, uh, exhausting type of work? But I've always found that the same answer that I find really good meaning out of producing my own work, producing my own events and, and having a, an amazing team around me. So I think that's a great advice for anyone who's either just discovered their passion or having a bad day. It's just to remember to sit down and, and think about why you're doing and allowing you to have that kind of shit day and then moving on afterwards. So yeah, anything else? <laughs> I would also say, and this is going back onto, this is sort of going back into earlier in the conversation that again, with the internet, we live in an age of like infinite leverage. So something good or bad actions can be amplified to thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of people. Mm. And I think for young people today, 
they have this tool available to them that was not accessible by any other previous generation. And the barriers to entry for young people into business are so low at the moment. They're probably the lowest it's ever been. Like you don't need all of this capital. You don't need to have all these networks. If you've got something interesting to say and you want to say it, you've got uh, platforms available such as YouTube and YouTube for videos, medium for writing, or even just social media that you can leverage into a business model. And I think take it is my advice is like use these platforms, use this leverage that you now have afforded to you to be able to explore whatever you like really and to leverage existing resources that you have into something, into something bigger. I mean, barriers for our parents back in the day was capital and access to networks. Barriers for us now is just resilience and persistence. Yeah. Commitment. (laughs) Exactly. If you've got commitment, you can, you can achieve some modicum of success on any platform that you choose. I think that's such a beautiful thing. Exactly. Yeah. And that's a wrap. Following your passion would have to be one of the most common pieces of advice that we hear as young people today. And what we wanted to do through this podcast was to share our own experiences with what following your passion means to us and some of the journey that we had to go through to understand what passion is and how to actually find passion. As you can see from what we discussed, Julie and I went through very different ways of finding our passion. And the main takeaway point is that there is no one journey no one best way to do it but sort of a journey that you have to go and find for yourself thank you again for listening if you're interested in keeping touch about what we do you can find us at underscore collective west on instagram and find out more from our website www.collectivewest.com.au see you at the next episode